Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Welcome to I Communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman. And uh, as always, thrilled to be here. Uh, love doing this show. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity on AM 830 WCRN to do this show. And, you know, it's funny, I, I, I'm constantly reflecting on things. And coming into the show today, I was thinking about the name of the show, I Communicate, and what that actually represents. And it really represents three things. Uh, number one, it re- represents your mindset, a mindset to communicate, uh, a mindset to advocate for yourself, And we're talking about recognizing, and here's the big part of this, right? Recognizing what you can control, what you can't control, and what you can influence. Because you can't control other people's reactions, but you can influence them. And being a good communicator is really being responsible for what you want to communicate and what you can communicate and what you choose to communicate. And, you know, I was reflecting on what would be a good topic for today. And I was thinking about how we help so many clients with internal communication and specifically around setting yourself up for success and managing yourself as a leader or as an individual. And that the makeup of that managing yourself typically centers around setting clear boundaries, setting clear and managing expectations and really just overall effective, emotionally intelligent communication. Leading me to our topic today, which is the infamous open door policy. And many of you who know me and who listen to the podcast and the show know that I am very anti-open door policy. It's a very antiquated way to lead. It involves a lot of assumptions. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about how it's really been brought into the limelight even more because of remote and hybrid leadership situations. Not to mention, even before the pandemic, offices were changing their structure and set up to more open office constructs. And so in many many cases now, there isn't even a door to have an open door policy. But that's, of course, the literal definition of it. And what struck me is... As I often do and compare different aspects of leadership to parenting, I think of being a parent and walking through the door, picture yourself, whether you're a parent or not, even if you're not, picture what this would be like for you. You walk in the door from a long day's work, you walk in and your partner or your children immediately ask you for things and need things and they want to talk to you and they want to they want to share, they want to vent. They're so happy to see you that they just, they've got all this whole long list of things they want to discuss with you. And like so many people, when you come in the door after a long day's work, and if it's a remote situation where you're actually already working at home, you still may be seeing people at the end of the day for the first time, even if you're not actually walking in a door. And usually people need some space. Like, For me personally, when I'm working and coaching and training and consulting all day and dealing with people all day, I love what I do. 
But by the time six o'clock rolls around, yeah, I could use some quiet time. I'm not necessarily anxious right away to talk to people, no matter who they are, whether it's my friends and loved ones, whatever. And so I think about that and I think about, yeah, you know, I need that space. I need that space when I, at the end of the day, whether I'm already at home and seeing people for the first time during the day or whether I'm walking in from being at work during the day. And don't most of us need that? Don't most of us, after a long day of work, like to have some breathing room and space? And if so, if you're one of those people, why it, Why do you have to have an open door? And can you have cake and eat it too? Can your loved ones, can your children, your partner, people in your life that want to talk to you or are excited to see you and have things to share, can, can you have your cake and eat it too and be available and present and be able to listen to them, but also give yourself some boundaries and give yourself an opportunity to decompress and reflect and breathe? And the answer is you can. And that's what this show is about. This show is about having your cake and eating it too, where you can be that leader or that parent or that authority figure who is visible and available and supportive and present while also setting boundaries for yourself. And, you know, it all starts with being assertive, right? Because to set boundaries, you have to be feel comfortable to be assertive and know how to set those boundaries. But you also have to feel like you can and you're worth it and you're not guilty, and you're not letting people down by setting boundaries. A lot of the problems with an open door policy, which is, I am in my office. I am here for you if you need me, when you need me, just so you know I'm available. That's what an open door policy is. It's permanent, boundaryless permission. Now, I'm going to say that again. It's permanent boundaryless permission to come see you when you need to, when you want to, no matter what. Permanent boundaryless permission. Do we have any relationships in life that it would be healthy to have permanent boundaryless permission? I don't think so. But see, the whole thing here is, is that when we feel the need to put forth an open door policy, we're making assumptions. Like, why would you do that? Are you worried that if you don't make yourself permanently available at all times, that people will be frustrated that you're not there to solve their problems and answer their questions when they need? Will they become resentful? Are you worried if you don't give the permission for permanent lack of boundaries that they may decide to just figure it out themselves and make a mistake and you're worried you you have a bit of a control issue and you feel like you don't want to miss out and you want to be available because if God forbid you're not available in the exact moment they need, what will they do? How will they figure it out? What are their alternative options? But see, there's a lot of assumptions that go into an open door policy. There's a lot of emotions that go into a lot of uh, an open door policy. It's the fear of mistakes being made. It's guilt, not being available for your team, 
while not recognizing you can still be available for your team, but still have boundaries. So there's assumptions, there's emotions, and then there's what I would call ambiguous expectations. Because if you feel the need to have an open door policy and have boundaryless permission established, you're making an assumption that that's what your team expects of you. Is that what they want? Is that what's best for them? We've been talking in the first few minutes about what's best for you, but is it best for them, for you, for them to come running to you every time they have a problem, for them to not have any guidelines to understand how to escalate issues and do some critical thinking and problem solving of issues? Are you not enabling behaviors by having that be the first and sometimes only choice to problem solve? So when you talk about open door policy, it's about setting expectations. Is an open door policy best for you? Absolutely not. Because an open door policy, and we're going to get into this in the next segment, but an open door policy impacts your ability to concentrate, to address your priorities and be proactive. It addresses your ability to be productive and efficient. So no, it's not best for you. An open door policy is not best for the person in, on your team because you're influencing their ability to problem solve, critical think, understand how to escalate issues. You're certainly not modeling a behavior that you would want them to model for their respective teams because with you not having boundaries, they're coming to you and interrupting and distracting you so often. And that's probably what they're doing with their team too, because they're, they're looking up and seeing how you model the behavior. And this doesn't even get into how hard it is to avoid distractions these days. I mean, if no one came into my office, I've got email beeps, I've got texts, I've got phone calls, I've got a 15-year-old child at home that needs things. I mean, there are distractions everywhere we look, so it's hard enough to stay attentive, let alone when you have the control and the ability to set some boundaries to minimize those distractions and set yourself up for success. So when we come back for our next segment, we're going to talk about really why the the open-door policy is is so flawed And what are some steps you can take to shift from an open door policy to setting boundaries and expectations? So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. And in the first segment, we were talking about the flaws of open door policies and how it affects both sides' time, there's declines in productivity. But but here's the big one I want to continue to build on in this segment. It doesn't empower people. Look, one of the basic tenets that I teach people around leadership, well, there's two pieces to this, right? When someone comes to you with a problem, the first thing, default reaction you should have when someone comes to you with a problem is, 
well, what do you think we should do? Now, if you are a person who is remembering to ask that, okay, which is not everybody, and some people don't even know to do it, what do you think we should do? Here's where the problem starts. You start out as a leader on the right foot by asking the question, and then the other person says, geez, I'm not sure I haven't really thought about it. Then what? So the person didn't cooperate? If you haven't done this with them before, they weren't expecting the question in the first place. So what do you think we should do? I don't know. Well, let's take a step back. Now I'm back to being the leader again. And you're asking your team member, how would you typically solve problems like this? Let the person think about it. And if the person still doesn't know, you have two options at that point. You can, number one, say, well, I want you to give this some thought. This isn't an urgent issue that needs to be solved right this moment. So I'd like you to think about what a solution you would offer for this and your thought process, how you arrived at that solution. So just stop right there. When you are developing critical thinking skills and you're shaping the next generation of problem solvers, you still have an open door policy, right? But part of what you're doing when you're there is you're training them how to think. And the more they can think and solve problems and make decisions is the less times they need to be inside your open door. Right? So play this out. What do you think we should do? Don't know. How do you typically solve problems like this? Geez, I haven't given a lot of thought. I don't think I have the experience in solving problems like this. So you could send them on their way, invite them to come back for a scheduled time to talk, not interrupting your day, a scheduled time to talk. And there is another alternative. You could share with them, not just the answer to the problem, which is what a lot of leaders do because they're in a rush and they've got a hundred things to do. So they say, okay, well, here's what you need to do. Here's how to do it. Well, instead of just saying, here's what you need to do, here's how to do it, why don't you share how you arrived at that thought process? Why don't you teach them how you typically solve problems like this? Are there three questions you ask yourself? Is there a process you follow or have created with yourself when problems come up? Why not teach the person that process? And while you're teaching them the process, have them document it. And then... The next time they come to you and they say, well, how do you think I should do this? Well, why don't you look at the process we created together? So now, not only are they coming to you with a solution, but they do know how to have a thought process. They do know learning from you, the experienced leader, they do know a way to do it in a strategy and how to solve problems like this. So, see, part of the challenge in an open door policy is we think to ourselves, We've got to be available. We've got to be support systems. We can help. But there's short-term thinking and long-term thinking. And if you are in the mode as a leader where you don't feel like you have the time to have that conversation I just mentioned about being solution-minded and developing thought processes, well, you're constantly going to get bombarded with requests and needs because you're not training people how to solve these problems for themselves. And you're enabling behavior. And that's one of the big challenges with an open door policy. It is, it creates so much behavior enablement. Think about this. Why are they coming to you in the first place? 
because it's easy. Because they know they can walk in your office and give them the answer. Think about a think about a high school kid who comes home to ask their parent, "Hey, mom, dad, can you help me figure out this math problem?" I can, and I could, but I don't think you're going to learn anything from that. But if every time your son or daughter comes to ask you for help with something in school, and you do it for them or do it with them, they're going to continue to come to you because you're training them how to problem solve. That's what you're doing. That's what I mean about enablement. If people think they can take the easiest path, and you know what I see sometimes? Sometimes I see people come to you when you're not even the right person to come to in the first place. Maybe there's a level of leadership underneath you. Maybe there's a peer on the team that could have adequately or successfully solved the problem, but because they're used to you and used to coming to you and you're the time saver for them, not for you. Notice that. If they come to you because you've created that behavior and that habit, they're saving time because they're getting a quick fix and a quick answer, but you're not saving time because you continue to have more and more demands on your time. And, you know, I say this all the time. What's your number one job as a leader? It's to coach and develop other human beings. It's to lift them up. It's to provide them the tools and the strategies to take your job, to grow into your shoes. And whether it's your job or someone else's job, you're developing them to be more skilled, more competent, more versatile. And the way you do that is by coaching and developing people. And so if that's, a, if you would acknowledge, if you're listening to the podcast, you're saying, yes, I would acknowledge that's a primary function of my job, then what are you doing to support the growth? And look, if I was to call up a company tomorrow and say, hey, would you like me to come in and do some critical thinking, decision-making or problem-solving training with your team? Some people, some companies might say yes and some might say no. But when you tell executives how this lack of critical thinking and problem solving is a complete time suck, how enabling people is holding them back and you back, then if you provide the why in the context on why it's important, then you get the buy-in. But that's the thing about an open door policy. Part of an open door policy is yes, to have answers and be supportive. But part of an open door policy is when they do come inside your door, how are you training them to not need to have to continue to come inside your door? I mean, what are we talking about here? We're talking about a growth mindset. The concept of a growth mindset is instead of viewing a setback as a failure, look at the setback and say, what can I learn? What can I do differently? How could I influence the outcome differently next time? That's part of what a growth mindset is. So why not look at that same way when people come inside your open door? They're here. What can I teach them to do? So they'll be more set up for success in the future. So they don't keep coming to me for the same issue or like issues. Look, if you were to track, if I said to you, if I gave you an assignment 
And I said to you, I want you to track every time someone comes in your office or you stop what you're doing and read an email or you look at your phone and see a text. When you're done with those distractions and you were to keep track of the lost time when you have to get yourself back focused and locked in on your thought process and what you were just doing. I mean, if that happened literally three times a day, in each of the three times it, it happened, it took you five or 10 minutes to get up to speed. And I would bet for many of you, it happens a heck of a lot more than three times a day where you're distracted and you have to zone in and remember where you left off and where your mind was in that moment. But if it only happens three times a day, and let's get conservative, and it takes you five minutes each of those three times to get your head back to where you were so you're being strategic and innovative and thoughtful. Well, let's put it this way. If it's three times a day and it's five minutes, conservative estimates, that's 15 minutes a day, an hour of 15 minutes a week, 52 weeks a year. You're talking about 65 hours of lost time just like that by not having boundaries, 65 hours of lost time. And that's conservative. We know it's significantly more than that. So when I come back for our next segment, I'm going to start talking about how to set those boundaries, what your quote unquote open door policy should look like so you can set expectations and boundaries. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. You're listening to I Communicate on full service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. So we're talking about motivation and habit change here on the uh, open door policy, how to have your cake and eat it too. And I want to share a very quick anecdote because this was a very brief but powerful example no matter how much people see the benefits and the rewards and the motivating factors of a behavior, they still won't necessarily act on it, right? So I was doing, this was probably about two years ago, I was doing a, I was speaking at a conference and one of the concepts that came up was attention management and focus. So one of the people at the conference raised his hand and he said, well, I got a challenge where my desk is so busy and messy that I lose things constantly and I find myself just spending all day or spending parts of different days trying to find and locate information. And in the old days when everything was on a desk, certainly that was relevant, but even on your computer desktop, it could be relevant where you got too many files on your desktop or you're just not organized with where you need to put things and how you put things in a certain place. So he raises his hand and we talked through the problem and I said, listen, would you be willing to invest? No, no, I'm sorry. I asked him, how many minutes a day or a week do you think you lose spending time finding things and trying to locate information? And by the way, that doesn't even speak to the stress level that when you lose something, the aggravation and stress and how that affects your mood and energy. So we're not even going to include that piece, even though it's a primary piece. So the moral to the story is, he said, yeah, I probably lose... I don't know, I probably lose about an hour a week just being disorganized. So I said, okay, so that's 12 hours a year. So if I said to you, you could gain 12 hours back and all you would have to do is trade two hours by following an organizational process 
at your desk, organizing files, papers, etc., you would have a net plus 10 hours. I said, would you do it? Would it? Would you do it? And he said, this is exactly how I responded. He said, uh, yeah, I'd have to think about it. And I laughed to myself because he was bought in to the benefit. He knew it would be a net gain of 10 hours, but it would take him out of his comfort zone. And he would have to do a task to be organized of something he probably wouldn't enjoy doing very much and may not even have a good organizational system to do it. So the mere fact that it was something he didn't enjoy doing and was out of his comfort zone may be the ruling factor that even though, even though it would gain him 10 hours of time, he would still choose to keep doing things the way he's doing. And to me, that speaks volumes of how human minds are. I mean, we all know we feel better when we're outside, getting fresh air, being active. But if I had a nickel for, including myself, by the way, if I had a nickel for every person that said, oh, I gotta, I gotta, gotta get out more. I gotta exercise more. I gotta do more fun things and have better work-life balance. You know, you know the benefits, you know the values, but how many people have experienced the tangible values and benefits of a certain behavior, yet they can't be motivated to do it. Hence, why I focus so much of the work on Mindset Go around habit change and mindset. Because you can have all the knowledge, you can have all the skills, you can have all the information, but we see it every day, people have the knowledge, skills, and information, and they still don't act on it. So we got to get to those barriers. Why don't people act on it? Why are people resistant? Why do leaders struggle to close the door in certain situations and stop enabling behaviors? They know it's the right thing to do. It's not that they're not bought into developing critical thinking in their team, but it's a habit. It's a way of doing things. And change is difficult for people. Applying what you learn is difficult. To put it into practice, to incorporate it into your everyday routine. So look, what we're really talking about here is how do you set those boundaries so you can have your cake and eat it too? And that's what we're going to talk about right now. So there's a training and there's some tools I provide companies. It's called rules of engagement. And we're going to talk through some of these rules. But where these rules start is talking through your team how to critically think an escalation policy. So it starts this way. You, everybody has three kinds of issues, urgent, semi-urgent, and non-urgent. So if nothing else, your rules of engagement communication policy that would replace your open door policy, the first thing you would have to do is you would have to communicate with your team how to handle issues three different ways because you certainly wouldn't coach them to handle urgent, semi-urgent, and non-urgent issues the same way. That wouldn't be very logical. So you'd have to break them out into three buckets. Look, we see this all the time in IT. If you have an IT company working for you, they often give you a response time based on the urgency of the issue. Hey, if it's an urgent issue, you'll get an immediate response. If it's semi-urgent, we'll at least acknowledge your challenge or problem in one hour, and then we guarantee a half-day response time. But if it's a non-urgent issue, we'll guarantee to get back to you next week or something like that. 
So IT policies have been doing this, for, IT companies have been doing this for a long time. So why aren't we differentiating between urgent, semi-urgent, and non-urgent? Then we have to ask ourselves, what are the things we have to differentiate in each of those buckets? Well, for starters, it's mode of communication. So on an urgent issue, should I call you? Should I email you? If I'm present, should I walk over to your office and interrupt you? It starts right there. I see it all the time now. People send emails when they should be making phone calls or getting on Zooms or walking over to their office. Why? Because it's easy. I feel productive. I responded to an email. I solved a problem. I can check it off my list. So you know what? I'm just going to email it. Not, Not recognizing how ineffective email can often be when portraying tone word choice, context, impact, but the mode of communication. If it's an urgent issue, I don't want you to email me. I get a hundred, hundreds of emails a day. I might not see your email. Do I want you to text me? Do I want you to call me? And then not only that, if it's an urgent issue, if, if, if you call me, I may be in a meeting. So if your response is, well, I called, I left a message, the ball's in their court. That doesn't feel very problem-solve oriented because if your boss is in a meeting and the problem needs to get immediately solved, then what are your other options to solve an urgent problem besides contacting your boss? That would all be part of this rules of engagement communication policy. So you would lay out, here are the options. Call me on the phone first, leave a message. If I'm unavailable, send me an email with a subject line that says urgent. And if I don't respond to you within two hours or one hour, or you name it, go see this person or go talk to this person. I just gave three steps. That's part of the urgent way of handling things. Now, we talked earlier in the show about what is the information someone should come to the table with. So if someone's bringing you any kind of issue, whether it's urgent, semi-urgent, or non-urgent, what do you want them to tell you? Do you want them just to come to you with the issue? Do you want them to tell you what they would do? Do you want them to give you specific details so you are set up for success to know how to solve the issue? Do you want them to tell you who they've already spoken to, um, what they've already tried to solve the problem? I mean, there's a whole host of questions. But remember, you're training people to be problem solvers and critical thinkers. So instead of being reactive and just say, all right, if it's urgent, come to me, that's not really part of the policy. Or it's not the only part of the policy. It's come to me prepared to share and discuss blank, blank, and blank. What you would do, what are the key facts and details I need to know? Have you tried anything at this point to solve it? Who are the other stakeholders involved in this? I mean, there's four things right there that could be part of your policy. So we've got mode of communication and we've got information to prepare for regardless of whether it's urgent, urgent, semi-urgent, or non-urgent. 
So for our final segment, I'll be right back and we will continue to discuss what a rules of engagement communication policy looks like. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate for our final segment. We're talking about the flawed and antiquated open door policy and how to develop a policy that is sets expectations effectively, sets boundaries effectively. And before I finish taking you through the, the other pieces to this, this replacement for an open door policy, remember what I said in the beginning of the show, you're still available for people. You're still supportive for people, but just doing it while setting boundaries for yourself. So at no point, listen to my words, at no point while we're talking about these rules of engagement, are we talking about, hey, you can't come to me anymore, or hey, I'm only available between 10 and 11 every day. You're not pushing people away, you're coaching them. You're doing what leaders do. You're setting expectations and you're setting boundaries. And by the way, this can be a collaborative process. You could certainly present these ideas to your team and see if they see anything they'd like to add to your policy around communication, bi-directional communication, the way they communicate to you and the way that you communicate to them. I mean, heck, what if they said to you, you know, to, if you were the boss and you, they said to you, someone on your team said, hey, you know what, to be honest, um, sometimes you come and I get distracted because I feel like you're going to be angry or disappointed if I don't respond effectively to you or immediately. So what about the other way around? What about someone on your team or multiple people on your team that feel like they have to jump when you say jump because you're the boss? Is that the culture you want on your team? That when you need something and when you want something, you say jump and they jump? I hope not because that's not conducive to their productivity, engagement, or focus level. And you're distracting them. And a lot of leaders, because of the pressures they face, just do that. When I need something, I expect you to answer. And by the way, sometimes that's true. Sometimes you, the person may need to jump when you say jump because you have specific requirements and deadlines and challenges that need to be addressed immediately. But I don't think that's the cadence you want to set up permanently and unilaterally. I don't think you want to let your, I don't think you're saying to your team, that you need to have permanent, limitless lack of boundaries because I need you. So this is a two-way street. Effective leadership and communication is a two-way street, regardless of who the authority figure is. So you can share your rules of engagement. You can ask them for feedback on the rules of engagement. And then you can turn it around and say, what would be your rules of engagement? Is there anything you would do different for you personally that would set you up for success, for maximum focus, concentration, attention span? It goes both ways. The idea here is everybody in the organization set up for success. That goes both ways. And if you're the kind of leader 
that expects people to jump when you email jump or when you say jump, then again, you're modeling that behavior and that may be how they manage the people on their team. And is that how you want them to manage the people on their team? This is why in open door policy, not only is antiquated and flawed, but there's so many pieces to communicating up and down. And I mean managing up and managing down. There's all kinds of factors. There's mode of communication. There's what to be prepared to discuss when you communicate the problem. There's a plan B. What about the plan B? What about if on a semi-urgent issue, what about if I say, okay, a semi-urgent issue, um, I'll get back to you by the end of the week. Well, what if you don't? What if you forget? What are they supposed to do? And this is another problem because if you set clear expectations, but then you don't follow through on the rules of engagement, then what happens? They start to lose confidence and faith in you because you're not doing what you said you're going to do. So why not provide the plan B up front? If it's a semi-urgent issue and you respond and say, I'll have an answer for you by the end of the week, do they have permission on that Friday to say, Hey, you know what, Mary, you had mentioned you were going to have it by the end of the week and it's Friday at noon. So I just want to make sure it was still on your radar to have it done at that point. Is that okay if people hold you accountable? Is that okay if that's the dynamic of your relationship where you're giving them permission up front to follow up with you because you're human and you may drop the ball? Like that's part of a communication policy, internal communication policy. So the plan B. Here's here's what the crux of this whole thing is. How often do you communicate with your team? If they're emailing you, texting you, calling you, barging in your office to distract you, I guess I would ask, are these things that could be discussed in a team meeting? By the way, are they better discussed in a team meeting because whatever problem is being raised by that person to you, would everybody on the team benefit from it? Like, what about that? So there's one thing, right? So you're getting interrupted and can you slow down enough to say to yourself, wait, 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 this would be better if everybody benefited. So you say to the person, hey, this isn't an urgent issue. Could you please bring it to our next meeting and we can problem solve it with the group? So there's that. But then you have one-on-ones with your team. Assuming you're a leader who has some kind of regularity on one-on-ones, could some of these semi-urgent or non-urgent issues be brought to a meeting in a one-on-one? And why do they need to be told now? Like, why do they need to flood your inbox? Why do they need to distract you? And if it is one-on-ones, shouldn't the team member be keeping an ongoing agenda of issues they should bring to your one-on-ones? Hence, what they should be prepared to discuss, what is the expectation in between one-on-ones and how they're capturing the critical and priority level problems and issues. Look, you've got three ways you can communicate with your team. You can communicate with them in a reactive way when there's an urgent or semi or non-urgent issue come up and just enable the behavior and let them interrupt you, and let them come to you with no boundaries, you can do that. You could receive the request reactively and assign it to a team meeting or one-on-one meeting 
as a better venue to discuss this, which would be good. But the best issue is to not be reactive, period, and set the boundaries and expectation and the rules of engagement on how they should communicate with you, when they should communicate with you, what they should communicate to you, and the mode of communication they should be using to communicate with you. And then if all else fails, what's the plan B? So when you look at having a, taking your open door policy, and many of you may not even have an open door policy, and many of you haven't even taken the time to set expectations and guidelines of what that policy looks like. Many of you haven't even done that. It's presumed, it's assumed, hey, this is how I'm dealing with my boss, and this is how they're dealing with me. It's never been discussed. It's just kind of morphed into behaviors and habits, and that's how it's working. So you may not even, this could be a great opportunity for you to build a communications policy internally with your team, with your peers, with your boss. But whether you don't have a policy at all, or whether you do have an old school open door policy, it's time for a new internal communication policy where you establish rules of engagement, where you're setting clear expectations. Setting expectations is an assertive behavior. It's not mean. It's not something you need to feel guilty for. It's an act of leadership where by setting those expectations, people know the best and most effective ways to communicate with you for their challenges and problems. It's setting boundaries. It's setting yourself up for success, for maximum focus, productivity, attention span. It's setting the people up on your team for those same three things. And, it, and as far as written communication goes, very simple. You want to set expectations? Have your team and make sure you model this too. When you email, what do you need? Why do you need it? And when do you need it by? Those three details should be on all emails. And if you ask them to do it, but you're not remembering to do it yourself, it won't work. If you ask them to do it and they forget to do it and you continue to enable the behavior, it won't work. So it's about mindfulness and paying attention to those very communication rules you're setting forth. All right, that's going to do it for our open door policy, having your cake and eating it too. So, thank you for joining another edition of I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman. We'll see you next time.